Hello, Christ Central. My name is David Chin, and I am the youth director here, and it's my honor and privilege to bring you God's word this morning. We will be continuing in our series on the book of Psalms, and we're going to go right to the beginning, to Psalm chapter 1. This is the reading of God's holy word. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Sunday morning where we can come and worship. God, may you teach us your word. May you teach us just how much you love us so that we may truly delight in you. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Psalms are often called the, the prayer book of the Old Testament, but it's important to notice here that our Psalm, Psalm chapter 1, it's not a prayer. It's a wisdom psalm that summarizes the entire book. It's a gateway to the rest of the Psalter. It gives instruction on how to truly be satisfied. It's like a survival kit to life. The word blessed here in Psalm chapter 1 means truly happy. In our modern vocabulary, happy is often referred to as an emotion that comes and goes with circumstance. But here in scripture, the blessedness, the happiness that the psalmist is talking about is a constant, enduring state. Happiness. We all want it, don't we? Everyone wants to be happy. In the top five things that people want in surveys, it's always happiness. Throughout centuries, we have been toiling with the dilemma that we are not happy, that so many of us are unhappy. It's even written in our Declaration of Independence that every human being has the right to the pursuit of happiness, but does anyone actually achieve it? Do people actually achieve happiness? We are desperate for it. We have so many different possible action pathways that we take. Psychology might say this. Biochemistry says this. Certain plants apparently absorb bad vibes. We are desperate. But the Bible tells us that true delight is not confined to the, spiritual, to the physical world, but it's actually a spiritual matter. You see, happiness is profoundly spiritual. And what makes a person truly happy or unhappy has not changed over millennia. This psalm that we have read this morning gives us the answer to our unhappiness. And we're going to look at it in three sections. First, we look at false blessedness. What blessedness is not? Second, what is true blessedness? And lastly, we'll look at the source of true delight and how to get it. So first, false blessedness. It's interesting that the psalm starts off with a negative, right? No one likes negatives. We want everything to be positive. But the psalmist actually comes forth and says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. It's a threefold negative statement of what blessedness, what true happiness does not entail. So what are these three lines that are given to us? Many scholars think that there is some sort of progression or process. 
the phrase slippery slope comes to mind. The first one is walking in the counsel of the wicked. This is more than peer pressure. This is more than just people egging you on to sin. This is actually to listen to the voice of the world. Especially in our day and age when there are so many voices telling you what to believe. What are you letting in? The word wicked can also be translated ungodly. That is, not of God. The advice of the ungodly tells us that we can achieve happiness with you at the center. This is the first step into the world, taking heed of the counsel. Are you letting it in? Are you absorbing it? Are you surrounding yourself with the voice of the world? Not only is the world wicked, who else? Jeremiah chapter 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We've all heard the saying that we should follow our hearts, that you should listen to your heart, that you do you. But the reality is, is that our hearts are naturally rebels to God. So the counsel of the ungodly is not only others, but it can even be ourselves. If we listen to our hearts constantly, if we chase only how we feel in the moment, our emotions, we will always end up chasing empty delights that will fail to satisfy. And lastly, or continuingly, if you entertain and ponder long enough in the counsel of the wicked, you will begin to model your life to seek out what the ungodly seems valuable. This will inevitably lead to sin. You cannot listen to the world, follow the world, and not expect to go against God's law. Intellect always leads to behavior. Very few sins are committed without first having been entertained in the mind. Eventually, the downward spiral of sin will lead you here to to sitting in the seat of scoffers. Not only do we participate in sin, but we mock those who don't. You see, seating imagery is used in the Bible to refer to belonging. It's who you belong to. You sit with those that you identify with. Therefore, by sitting in the seat of scoffers, you yourself identify as a scoffer of God's law. Your full weight is in that chair. There's a sense of ownership there now. So from walking to standing to sitting, from counsel to way to seat, you see this progression. There's intellect to behavior, to identity. The psalm is giving us a very sober warning here. C.S. Lewis in his book, Screwtape Letters, writes this. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. It's so easy to go to church and still follow the old ways of the flesh. It's even easier now with online services where there isn't as much accountability. It's so easy to maintain our religiosity and our self-righteousness while our hearts continue to deceive us as we turn to sin and darkness. Our psalm today gives us a warning of the nature of sin. It's soft, it's subtle, it's seductive. But behind the facade is a lion looking to devour. It always begins in whispers, but ends in a roar. And you will be left empty. We must ask ourselves this morning, are we chasing after what the world tells us to chase after? Or are we chasing after what God tells us to chase after? The wicked are then 
put into an image. There's a mental image that the psalmist gives us. Look at verse 4 with me. The wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. You see, chaff is a common image used in scripture. What it is, it's a hard husk on the outside of the grain. And so during harvest, in order to separate the precious grain from the inedible chaff, workers would throw it all combined up into the air. The chaff being light, it will blow away in the wind. But the grain, which is much denser, would fall back to ground to be gathered and stored for use. This is the image that we are given here in this psalm. There are two ways in which the wicked are like chaff. One, chaff is worthless. It provides no nourishment and there is no value to it. If you are ungodly, as in you live independent from God, all of life is ultimately meaningless. We are all just a chaotic swirl of molecules that somehow happen to be human at the specific point in time. Everything is reduced to chaff. Things like love and happiness are simply chemical formulas. There is no purpose to life. All pleasures are fleeting. All joy is fading. And so the ungodly man is forced to make a choice in the face of this unbearable meaninglessness. Either accept and live in despair or chase after a flurry of delights to stay distracted. Another sense in which wicked are like chaff is that chaff is weightless. In the same way that chaff is blown away by the wind, the wicked are rootless, always chasing after the next thing. You have nothing to keep you grounded, and so you're blown about by the winds of public opinions. You're blown about by the winds of suffering and trials. You're blown about by the winds of circumstance. Who you fly to, who you run to for your delight changes depending on the wind, and you're never satisfied. I was able to recently watch a musical called Alexander Hamilton. I'm sure a lot of you guys know about it. It's very famous. And it describes the life story of a man named Alexander Hamilton, obviously, uh, who had a significant part to play in the early stages of the development of the United States. He goes through impossible odds to reach great heights of status and power but the running theme of the whole musical is that he's always moving on, on to the next position, the next woman, the next person to impress. He's always living and writing as if he's running out of time. And he's described countless times as a man who can never be satisfied. Are you satisfied? Are we satisfied? What are we really pursuing in our pursuit of happiness? For those of us who operate in the corporate world, are we working endlessly to receive that promotion, that boost, that rise in the corporate ladder? For those of us who are in ministry, do we put the favor of others over faithfulness to God? Because we think that'll make us happy. For those of us who are parents, does the success or brilliance of your child measure the contentment of your life? For students, is it academic excellence? For my youth group, oh, my youth group, is it about clout? Is it about being in the right, being on the right side of history? Is it about fame? Are you never satisfied? Are you always running from one thing to the next? If we call ourselves Christians, but we are not satisfied, we are not truly happy, we don't have a deep sense of satisfaction and contentment, then maybe we need to re-examine ourselves and ask, 
What chair am I sitting in? Where do I put my worth? This is the problem of wickedness. We run after these false delights. And so now we know the problem, but what is the solution? We know what blessedness is not. So what is it? What is true blessedness? Blessed is the man who delights. Who delights. It's interesting that the psalmist doesn't write the opposite of the negatives. Right? He doesn't go on to say, Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the righteous, who stands in the way of the just, and sits in the seat of saints. No, he only says two positives. Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and who meditates on it day and night. It's important to clarify here that the word law is not referring specifically to the Ten Commandments, but rather the whole of Scripture as God's instruction to his people. It's the entire message of Scripture. And so the blessed man takes pleasure from the Word of God. It's more than just being under the law, but rather you're enjoying it. You're delighting in it. Next, it says, blessed is the man who meditates day and night. Meditates. So meditation, when we think of meditation, oftentimes we'll think of the sense of Eastern religion, where, you know, you sit down in a quiet place, you close your eyes, and you attempt to try to empty yourself, clear the mind. But the biblical definition of meditation is, in fact, quite the opposite. It's about filling the mind with the truths of Scripture. In the late J.I. Packer's well-known book, Knowing God, he describes meditation in this way. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. So meditation is a rational activity, It's a practical activity. It's something that you and I both can do at the moment, but at the same time, it's a supernatural and transcendent activity in which the presence of God is truly felt. The blessed man meditates day and night. It's repetitive. It's habitual. It's regular. So this is what the true blessedness is, that you take joy in, you relish in, You love the law of the Lord. And similarly to how the wicked were given an image of chaff, the godly person is also given an image. The blessed man is like a tree. How different is that from chaff? A tree is big, it's strong, it's immovable. It's symbolic of life and of growth. How different from the fleeting, flying, worthless chaff Here are the characteristics that are given to us. There's three. This tree was planted. It was placed deliberately by streams of water. This tree did not plant itself. The godly person is put in his situation for a reason and is rooted there. You're not going anywhere. You are secure, planted firmly beside water. You worship the same God that Abraham worshipped. There is a consistency here. There is a stability. Second, it yields fruit in its season. It yields fruit in its season. You see, there will not always be fruit every time. There will not always be results 
There will be seasons of drought. There will be winter. But you still yield fruit. And in those seasons of drought, you dig deeper. You sink your roots deeper into the streams and hold fast. And that leads us to our last characteristic. Its leaf does not wither. You see, the tree goes through suffering. The tree experiences the scorching heat of the sun. The tree experiences drought. But the tree never withers because it's rooted in the streams of life-giving water. The tree is evergreen. Your delight, your blessedness, your happiness is not based off of circumstance. It's not based off of how much stuff you have. Your eyes are not always fixed to the clouds looking for rain to come and save you. You're not looking for the next thing over the horizon. You're not running from idol to idol. You're not running from delight to delight because you know that your leaf will never wither. You see, the blessed man is never promised financial success. He's never promised approval from peers, never promised security or safety or even his own life. But just like an evergreen tree that never loses its color, the blessed man who delights in the law of the Lord holds fast in every circumstance. That is why in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8-9, through 9, Paul says that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. See, this happiness that we're talking about, it's not a blind happiness. It's not that Christians simply have smiles glued to their faces in all seasons, in all circumstances. No, far from it. The Christian knows tragedy. The Christian feels tragedy. We acknowledge pain and suffering, but that pain and that suffering do not take away from our delight, but add to it. Because it is when the drought comes that the godly person runs to the river. The godly person digs his or her roots down deep into God's word and God's promises. That is what true happiness is. It's not superficial. It's not circumstantial. And it's not temporary. So there's the solution. But what is the source? What is the source of that delight? How do we get that? We see that the ungodly are like the chaff, and godly, the godly are like trees. Notice how the ungodly are not identified as smaller trees, unfruitful trees, or even unhealthy trees but it's a completely different category. The sobering fact is that the psalm makes a firm distinction between the two types. There is only the blessed and the wicked, the chaff and the trees, the godly, the ungodly, the righteous and the unrighteous. We see this duality in verses five and six. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. You are one or the other. You are either a child of God or an enemy of God. And ultimately, the wicked will perish. But the righteous delight in the law of the Lord. The truly happy delight in the law of the Lord. And you might be saying, David, that's great, wonderful. But have you ever looked at the law of the Lord? I don't feel it. I'm not happy. I don't desire. I don't delight in the law. How do you find happiness through it? Right? If you actually look at the law of the Lord, delight is not there. You look at the Ten Commandments, 
And you might think, okay, well, as long as I don't commit any of these Ten Commandments, then I'm on the good side of God and I'm able to delight. I'm able to be happy. And so you say, okay, well, I don't murder. I don't commit adultery, so that's not bad. And then you move on to the New Testament, and Jesus gives his Sermon on the Mount, and he really levels the playing field and tells what the righteousness is that we are called to. And he says, sure, you haven't murdered anyone, but have you resented? Have you hated? Sure, you may not have committed adultery, but have you lusted? And so when we see this and we look at that and we think, wow, maybe I'm not so good after all. Maybe I'm not so self-sufficient. Maybe I can't help myself. And so the law of the Lord, it's really a mirror. It reveals the wickedness of our own hearts, and it shows us that we are in need of saving. It unveils all senses of self-righteousness and pride. Romans chapter 3 verse 9 says, none is righteous. No, not one. And so how are we to delight in this? The law of God alone, it crushes you because it gives you a standard that you cannot achieve. You aren't led to delight. You're led to despair. There is no way that we can be right with God. We cannot meet his standard of perfection. We cannot follow everything in the law. And that brings us here, that you cannot delight in God's law unless you delight in someone. There was a perfect man who truly delighted in the law of the Lord. He meditated day and night. He was the perfectly blessed man. That scripture just bled out of him when he talked. That's how in tune he was with scripture. And that man was Jesus Christ. But he was poured out. He was laid in the dust of death. He became chaff on the cross. While God's just judgment meant for sinners like you and me, was unleashed on him. You see, Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. And I'm sure many of you have heard this truth so many times, as have I. But while we were still sinning, while we were wicked, while we were in the counsel of the wicked, while we were in the way of the sinners, while we were sitting in that seat of scoffers, Christ died for us. We deserve to be blown away like chaff. But because of Christ, God now delights in us. Under the blood of Jesus, you and I are now sons and daughters of God. We can call God Father. That is what it means to delight in the law of the Lord. To delight in the word of God that became flesh, Jesus Christ. And because of him, we have new life and we are new creation. That we are no longer chaff destined for nothingness, but we are trees planted by streams of water. The source of delight is not in God's law, but rather delight in God's law is a product of God's delight in us. And we love him now because he loved us first. So then we take up the law of God and we say, how can I please him? How can I love him? How can I serve him? When you love someone, what they take joy in, you take joy in. What they delight in, you delight in. You see, Jesus doesn't just become your savior. He becomes your Lord too. 
You cannot choose between the two. It's a both and, not an either or. If Jesus is truly your Savior, then he is your Lord as well. True happiness is when you take the truth of the gospel and it makes your heart sing because you once were wicked. You once were destined for chaff. But God sent his son to save you and planted you beside streams of water. And that is where this true delight comes from. And I'll close with three practical applications. First, meditation. Fill your mind with the law of the Lord. You see, meditation, it assumes, right? It presupposes that there is knowledge of Scripture. The Word of God is living and powerful, and I don't think we give it enough credit. As a seminarian, when I went into West Cal, uh, Westminster Seminary, California, we were, we were given this English Bible exam, and it, it tests us on the knowledge of the Bible. Um, and it's so that we can pass out of a certain class. Um, but as the professors told, talked to us about it, they kept mentioning this trend that they saw that even seminary students, young people who are coming to give their lives to the Lord in ministry, that their success, that their scores have been constantly declining over the years. Biblical illiteracy is at an all-time high. And you cannot meditate on what you don't know. You cannot love someone that you do not know. And so the first application is fill your mind, dig deep into the scriptures. The second application is that in dry seasons, in times of drought, run to the Father. Push your roots down deep into the river of God's love. Remember his promises. Remember the joy and consolation of Christ that you are loved by God, that you are made whole in him, that you are a beautiful child. And remember that and hold fast to the truths of the gospel. And that leads us to the last application. Preach the gospel to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself. I know it sounds classic. It sounds very cliche. But even for myself, the pastor that is most influential, it's not Pastor Harold, it's not any pastor that I see on the screen, but really it's myself teaching myself the truths of Scripture, teaching myself and reminding myself of the truth of the gospel. You are a preacher to yourself, in a sense. And so preach the gospel to yourself and remind yourself that Jesus Christ is the source of your delight. Happiness is possible. True, unshakable joy is offered through the gospel. Let us take the time and energy and admit our need for the gospel and learn to delight in the true delight. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, we admit that we are so prone to run away from you. God, that there are so many false delights out there that we seek, that we run after. But God, as you have reminded us today, 
we know that we can only be truly satisfied, we can only find true delight, true happiness in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so God, may you impress that truth in our hearts. We love you, Lord, and we want to love you more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.